Good evening and welcome to Spooky South Coast. Tim Weisberg here along with science advisor Matt Moniz. We are here to talk with you about the paranormal as we are most Saturday nights. I always say each and every, but um, we were off last week because I was out at an event. I was in Weymouth at the uh, Emory Estate, which was my first time ever investigating there. And I have to say, it did not disappoint. No, I'm glad you had a good time. It, it, first of all, I had a great chat with Christy and Rick, who is the gentleman who helps her run events over there. And we discussed the way, because for those of you who don't know, when the Oliver Estate first started having paranormal investigations, it was being run by somebody different than Christy. And... I don't know that like the renovations had already started at that point. I think they were still trying to get enough money going yeah. to be able to start doing things like, you know, just putting it in the account, socking it away, waiting until they had the money to start doing things. But when she came in and they started doing very uh, frequent pro nights and amateur nights and letting groups in and all that, I mean, she went in all in and dedicated herself to that and was able to have this great big revitalization of the Oliver estate. And now it's it's kind. I mean, it, I don't think it'll ever be done. I think there's always going to be uh, a bunch of stuff that they can do, but they are at a place where they're comfortable and they don't need to do some major major work. So she does have the time in her schedule now to look into doing the same thing for other places. And it just so happened that the Emory Estate came across her desk, and it was the perfect fit. So what, I wrote an article about this at WBSM.com and on the app. If, uh, if you want to read it, but I found this to be completely different than any other investigation that I've done. That's saying something. Uh, well, because here's, here's what it is. The, most other places that we go to, especially here in New England, we're dealing with spirits who died a hundred, 200, sometimes 300 years ago. And you, you've been there, you've done it. Yep. You've, you've had to go through some of these things where you're explaining like, uh, see the color red over there. You can't say, see that flashing red light. Yes. Somebody might not know what that means. Or, you know, can you touch that flashlight? It's more like, you know, see that candle over there? Can you, like, touch that? You know, have to call the flashlight a candle because you're dealing with concepts that, that people don't understand because they're not from this era. At the Emory Estate, you're dealing with the last remaining Emory who lived in that house passed away in 2010. So okay. you're, you're dealing with people who are, you know, the last 20, 30 years have passed away, the, you know, the different people that lived in the house, but you're dealing with people who have knowledge of the type of equipment that we're using. And what Christy has found is that by going in there and doing this on a regular basis, the spirits have actually learned about the paranormal investigation too. And I think it's because they have a curiosity for it. And I think it's because they have, they were very much like, who is this? this weird person with a Southern accent coming into our house and, you know, telling us that she's going to, you know, take care of our place and all that. And I think it took a little while for them to get used to her. But then once they did, they realized how she's trying to help. And now they want to help. And so you're having spirits that actually know you don't have to mess around. You can just get right in there and have a conversation as if they're in the room with you. They're already, shall we say on the ball. And what's, what's, what's probably the most fascinating thing about it is, they they don't seem to have restrictions 
the same way that other spirits might have. And I, I have a theory on why this might be. So they're definitely stronger entities. There's a stronger presence when they were around. And, and I'll relate some stories as to why I feel that way. But it's there's more power to them. And, and my thinking is that because they're more recent passings, they don't need as much energy to manifest and well, manipulate things. There's a thing in science called entropy. Right. Okay, so that's where you're going. Which would which would explain right. why we don't have caveman Go ghosts walking right. around. Or, yeah, ghosts of quote-unquote dinosaurs or what have And why, you know, if you're going to a place that's from the colonial era and you're saying, hey, can you do this? Like, there's they're limited in what they can do. Uh, but I think that there's still a, still a very raw power there. So if you think about it, like, the house was built in 1903. So right. if you're dealing with spirits that lived in that house throughout this time, so... You I, could say it's a modern era, relatively modern. But so the Emery's moved in in 1916, I believe. And so you're, you're really looking at only about 106 years of people that were living there that were still connected to the place. And if that's the case, then you're dealing with relatively fresh deaths. So if somebody lived there and they you know, so people might have started passing away that had lived there maybe in the 20s, 30s, even the 1940s, you know, so you're dealing with people who haven't been gone for a long time and you're dealing with people who. Well, given modern era and how people live longer, that's still considered within living memory. Right. I don't, I don't know how old these folks were when they moved in. Um, you know, Christy has all of the historical information, but, and also the people who lived there were evangelical okay. they were they were part of the billy graham crusades and in fact billy graham visited the house many times they have a room that they call the billy graham room where they have i guess some memorabilia and stuff but billy graham only passed away a couple of years ago mm -hmm. so if he's there if he's connected there as if his energy is connected there at all that's relatively fresh so it's it's fascinating to see how there's that difference and it was so, uh, you know, I had heard all the stories from Christy and I said, well, hopefully it'll be active the night that we go. And she's like, no, you don't understand. Like, it's always active. So I said, OK, well, we'll you know, we'll see. Sometimes, you know, maybe I'm the maybe I'm the dud that causes it not to be <laughs> so active. I don't know. So as we we walked in and, and of course, is you've been there with me right at the start of these things. There's all the running around that's got to yep. be done. Uh, this was a smaller group, so I, you know, I was, and it's a, it was a small group. It was supposed to be, at one point, it was like 20-something people. That kind of whittled down from people that couldn't make it. Then we had a bunch of people that were sick the day of. We had some people that were like, I don't know if I have COVID or not. I was like, eh, nah, 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 yeah, we'll okay. do this one again. And so it turned into, we only had like 14 people. And... When I got there, you know, I'm putting the salad together, putting the drinks in the fridge, ordering the pizza, all that kind of stuff. And they were taking, they were sitting in the other room and watching some video of some other investigations that had happened there. And so uh, it's probably, you know, we got there at six o'clock. It's probably like 645, seven o'clock. We say, okay, we're going to take the tour. Christy's going to lead us around and tell us about the history of each room. And she's going to tell us about some of the activity. And we go upstairs first. And she starts us down in this far bedroom. And if you've never seen the house, uh, there's photos of it in the story. But have you ever seen Mount Vernon, George Washington's house? Yeah. It's an exact replica of Mount Vernon. Okay. 
that's the people who built it. The Emery's didn't build it. They bought it from the family that built it. But the people that built it wanted it to look like Mount Vernon. Mm, so yeah. like they, they made a replica. And so we go into the far bedroom and I'm standing there just like standing there listening to Christy tell the story. And I'm leaning against the wall over by the door frame because I'm trying to stay back so everybody else can be closer. And because the rooms are decent size, but they're not huge. And so I'm like leaning against it and I felt two pokes in my arm, like something was trying to get my attention. And I'm like, oh, somebody's trying to come into the door. Oh, oh, there's nobody there. Yeah. So I said, okay, here we go. This is starting off white, right? She takes us all through and shows us, and this place has like a lot of different rooms, closets, different places. It has, uh, um, I forget the name of it, but it was like a, it was like a, it was like a porch on the second floor, but it's it's a room. But they would treat it as like a porch, like they would sit on it. And then on the third floor, over that, they have an outdoor. Like you would walk out this weird window, and you would have to like climb out this window, but you would go and sit out on it. And um, although I didn't go out on it because it seemed kind of spongy. And I, I was like, mm, I'm probably the heaviest guy here. I don't need to go out onto that thing. And then there's a cupola. So you can go up into the cupola. And when you're up there, you have a perfect view of Boston Harbor and the Boston skyline. Mm-hmm. And at night, it was just amazing. I'll show you the photos later on my phone. And as we were going through the tour, you know, I was, I was more focused on what Christy was saying than if there was anything going on. So we start the investigation. We go down to the basement. As you know, I like to start in the basement, yep. get a feel for what's going on. It's listen. usually where I'm stuck. And <laughs> I like to listen to all the noises that the, because most of the noises in the house come from the basement. So let's kind of get used to when yep. the boiler goes off or this happens. The heater and the water. Yeah. And so we sat there and after a few moments I said, all right, I'm going to do the old shave and a haircut trick. And I do the. Dun, dun. And then immediately it comes back from in the same room, but everybody's like where I am across from me though, like right away. And it only happened once. I tried it a couple other times and it only did it that one time, but we got, you know, more interaction as, as things kept going on. So we ended up at one point we were on the third floor in the room over where I was poked in the arm. And in that room, there's a closet. And Christy was saying how in the closet, people will feel a pressure on their shoulder, like somebody has a hand on their shoulder and they're leaning on their shoulder. And so uh, I walked in and some some ladies who come to a lot of our events, they were in there and they said, oh, we're, we're just watching this closet because there's supposed to be something in there. Like, Tim, get in the closet. So, okay. So I go in the closet and I'm standing there and I'm like, if you are here, you know, feel free to put your hand on me. Like, it's okay. I don't mind. And so I started to feel the pressure on my right shoulder, something. And it felt like a hand pushing down, like it was leaning on me. Mm-hmm. And I was like, Oh, it's, it's kind of weird that this thing is leaning on me. And then I just so happened to look because there's motion sensors and that are supposed to set off if, if something's moving and I'm holding still except for my shoulder drooping. So it's not really going off. But then, so I just happened to look down to look at the sensor to see if it's going to come on, like if I move toward it. And I happen to see against it, there's a cane in there. And I don't know if this cane is like related to the room or if somebody just put it in there, but it starts to like work its way into my head. I'm like, this person is leaning on me because they must have a physical impairment. Right. And so they're, they're using me as a crutch. And I was like, huh. And I said, well, you know, you can, 
you know, you're kind of pushing one shoulder down more than the other. Can you push my other shoulder too? Can you put your other hand on my other shoulder? And the hand goes on my other shoulder. And so now I've got a balanced pressure across my two shoulders. And so I'm just standing there. And I'm like, hey, I'm feeling this on both. And as I'm standing there, my arms are down by my side. Suddenly my arms start moving in toward the center of my body to okay. the point where they're pretty much touching. Whatever it was wrapped its arms around me from behind, uh, like in a bear hug. And I was like, oh, okay. Like I'm feeling this now. And I said, uh, well, if you're here, I said, if you're, um, if that's you like wrapping yourself around me, I, I, I've been having some back troubles. Could you maybe crack my back? And I get lifted backwards. And I come back forward and I was like, okay, can you do that again? So I know that it was really you doing it and not, not just my imagination. And I get leaned back again. So I was like, okay, this thing is really happening. And it stayed that way for a few minutes to the point where like I couldn't move my arms out. And I finally had to ask for it to let go of its grip on me so that I could relax. And then when I asked immediately, it just felt like it was released. And then every person that went into that closet had it happened to them after that. There was one woman who was actually getting like really pulled backwards, but everybody was having this pressure on their shoulder or some kind of physical contact, except for this guy, Rob. Rob comes to a lot of our stuff. Rob has never been touched or, I mean, not like, you know, when we tried the Lizzie yeah. Boyden leg lift, it didn't work for him. So he goes into this closet and he can't feel any pressure on his shoulders or anything. And meanwhile, Christy's running Echo Vox and we're listening. She's doing it through the Estes, but she's the one that's just, you know. Yeah. And uh, it said, he asked like why they weren't touching him and it said something like five feet. And so we figured out that it was basically saying it was too short because Rob is like yeah, six is, foot something. So they, they couldn't reach up to get onto his shoulders. So I thought that, that was kind of interesting. And then at one point, Christy, Christy just blurt, this is my, this was my favorite moment of the whole night. Christy just blurts out, "Happy birthday!" coming from the Echo Vox, and immediately the question is, "Is it anybody's birthday here?" And this this woman Kim, who came with her friend Kristen, Kim says, "Well, it's not my birthday. My birthday was last month, but Kristen and I haven't seen each other, and so she brought me my gift today. So maybe." And as she's telling this story, Christy blurts out. Not from Walmart. And the two ladies just start laughing. And it takes them a couple of minutes to stop laughing. It's like, what's so funny? Like, what's the thing? And Kim says, you know, a couple months ago, it was Kristen's birthday. And I bought her a gift that I tried to pass off as something that I got on Etsy. But I actually got it from Walmart. <laughs> so the ghost was blowing up her spot and ratting her out for yep. getting a Walmart present and trying to pass it off as being something homemade, handmade from somebody on Etsy. So I thought that that was just, it, it was like the perfect encapsulation of what we were dealing with there. You're dealing with more modern spirits, people who were alive in our time and have an understanding of the way we do things and kind of, um, that was odd. Something I missed. So as I was talking to you, I looked, we can see in the glass mirror behind, Mo Moniz is in front of the glass window, so the studio. This would be better if we had spooky TV still. Yeah. 
but he's sitting with his back to the windows that look out to the parking lot. But because the lights are on inside, in we get the reflection. Mirror effect. And I can see the reflection of my office in there. And there was just, it looked like a person standing there in a blue and white checkered shirt with a pair of jeans on. Um, I've been seeing somebody in the uh, the studio here. We, we know who's in there. Yeah. I, I, I don't say it anymore only because I'm just so used to seeing it. Let me know if you can make out what he's wearing. What the the thing in in yeah, the studio? The thing that you see in there, white shirt. White. Yep. Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> Does that? It's yeah. It's okay. it's somebody that used to work here. Okay. Um, yeah. Everybody's everybody's been encountering him quite often. So it's I'll I'll get into that. I don't want to bring it onto the air. Uh, but yeah, the this this wouldn't have been him that I saw because this was a, a like a blue and white flannel checkered shirt. Okay. Um, but. Still kind of interesting. Might have been maybe somebody was walking by and it just looked like it was in the reflection. I don't know. But anyway, yeah. So we're dealing with modern spirits that have a better understanding. So if you get the chance to go to the Emory Estate and take part, we're we're certainly going to be booking another event there in the spring because there were so many people that wanted to go to this one that couldn't. So we're going to book another one so that we can help them raise more money. But it is it is a place worth checking out. And you can go and see it for yourself without without going inside, but it's actually in a park. So the 24 acres that the house sits on, the family wanted to sell. They gave the town first crack at buying it when the last remaining Emery that lived there passed away. So the town bought it for, I think, $1.9 or $1.6 million out of Community Preservation Act funds. And the 24 acres around it has all been turned into a park. So people go and utilize that like you would a park yeah, or anything yeah. else. But then this house just happens to sit on top of the hill in this park. It also has, there's a garage, there's a carriage house, which we got to go up into the carriage house and check that out. And then there's also a children's playhouse. The children's playhouse, Moniz, is the size of your house. Oh. <laughs> like that's, it's like the size of a regular, like two bedroom house here on the South coast. Like that is the size of this children's playhouse at the Emory estate, which right now they don't have access to the town hasn't granted them access to go in there because it's in such bad shape, but maybe somewhere along the lines, if they keep renovating the property, they might be able to renovate that as well. Right. Gotcha. So it's, it's just an amazing place. And, and again, um, you can read my article at WBSM.com and on the app to find out a little bit more about it, but I just, I came away from that saying like, I, I needed something. I needed something that would change. Cause I've, I've been in kind of a ghost rut to some degree where I'm going out to, it's, it's, it's almost like I'm, you know, sticks or journey going out, just doing the greatest. Maybe journey's a bad idea because you know, yeah, well their lead singer is going to be happy to have that job forever. So he's probably never going to lose the energy, but, um, or, you know, the journey cover band as I like to call them. Yeah. I was going to say, um, I, I think Steve Perry's been gone for a long time. Yeah, it's been Arnold Pineda for for over 20 years yeah. now. But so the, so I'll, I'll use, you know, Sticks as an example. They don't come out with new music. They just go out every summer and they tour and they're just playing the greatest hits over and over again. And I feel like sometimes when I go to some of these places, that's what's happening. It's like, oh, is this the place where this happened? Yeah. Oh, let's go try it. And then, or if we go down to the basement, I know, well, this will happen and we'll see shadow people and this will happen. So I've been in kind of a little bit of a rut to some degree about trying to come up with new ideas and new things to do. And this kind of revitalized me to say that this is a, a different 
type of spirit that I've encountered. This is a different type of approach to the investigation. And Christy did say, like, she's like, this place will change you. And and it certainly did. So I'm I'm pretty excited uh, for going back there. Of course, you know, we've got a couple of other well, things coming up before that. Let me know when that, you but, do go back. I'd like to check it out. Well, I think there's um there's a bunch of stuff that they're doing throughout the course of the fall. Uh, so you might want to get over there and just see if you can, you know, on a night, like maybe on a Friday night or something when they're doing something, see if you can head over there just because you got to see it now before they start making the changes and doing things. It's uh, it's pretty incredible. So I wanted to talk about that, but I also had another article, which I, I sent to you the other day. And I said, this is something I want to discuss. I talked about it on what day did I publish this? Wednesday. So I talked about it all day Thursday on my morning show. And oh, the Chowder Fest? No, no. That was <laughs> no, only wrong Monday. Article. It was only Monday that I talked about Chowder Fest. Um, which by the way, Chowder Fest was awesome. And uh the Silmo coffee syrup. As I wrote on social media, uh Autocrat is now autocrap and an and eclipse has been eclipsed. So my first shot at Silmo, it was uh it lived up to the hype. So I will I will get into this article in just a moment, but we have a, a phone call on the line. So let's take that really quickly. Um, oh, do 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 we dare? Good evening. You're on WBSM. Hello. Oh, sorry. There you are. Hey, hey what's shaking, fella? What's going on? What's hey, up, Playboy? Hey, I'm, I'm wearing I'm wearing blue and white myself, checkered shirt and blue jeans. So, hey, Were you me? actually projecting into the into the studio? I was trying to, but you know, those black people got to get have problems going through customs and stuff like that. You know. I can't help that. It's a, a terrible thing. So, um, I wanted to say something. Okay, uh, you speaking of journey, I just uh, uh, this this like three days ago. I saw, I was over, I saw Steve Perry's house. He's got a new song coming out. It's a Christmas ditty coming out around coming out here. It's a new song. It sounds really good. I listened to it the one time I heard it, and it sounded really good. So it was inside the studio at his house. So I think that you he's talking about journey. That's that's a perfect example. There you go. And um, I think that's going to be a good thing to listen. I think I think of a, I don't know if it's going to be a whole album. I just know that single's coming out in, next month, so that'll be a good thing. All right. So you were t I've got something I want you to watch. Uh, it's a it's a, there's a two piece two part video. One's like 13 minutes, and the other one's like uh, 10 minutes. And what happens is this, this there was this kid in a car accident. But this this 16 year old kid was in a car. He died. He was laying there in the car. But they, you can see the kid. And um, they, the, the, from the police, they have the, you know the cameras come up the crime scene. And you see the kid laying on the on the front seat dead, and and you, there's a picture. You see his face, literally his soul, up above the car, and you see him. It's like he's screaming, saying "No!" And you see, and you see that, and, and he, they show a close up of his face, but it looks like his face looks just like him. And you see in the second video, the second clip, there is there's like a, that's ten minutes, and you see it's, it's like grandparents stuff that died prior to behind him like you were waiting for him to come and you see his dog that he had just died like two months prior to like standing on the side of the side of the car you see it, his reflection like inside of inside the on the, side, on the car door so that'd be something to look at would you like me to send that to you sure yeah okay uh it's, it's a youtube video how am i going to send it to the your email but i don't know um, send it send it, to, send it to spooky crew at spooky south com. then we'll all get it how, so how about if I, all right, how about if I just like put it on my 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 channel and you just go see it on my channel? Sure. Like, yep. two videos. I'll do it like that. So how you doing, Matthew? How you doing, player? I'm doing all right, player. How about yourself? Living, loving, just trying to get something in the oven. 
Yeah, mm-hmm. doing what I got to do. Mm-hmm. So are you guys planning on doing something like coming to Vegas? I know you're talking about like a Roswell. going out to Peru. Yeah, well, down in Peru, you know, not that Vegas, but the, the best Vegas. You got to out here. At, uh, if you guys come out here, I'll take you guys and show you um, where uh, Butch Cassidy is buried at. I, I, where, I, I wish the Midnight in the Desert thing hadn't fallen apart because we had a plan of going out there and doing a conference and you know bringing everybody to Perump, but you know it's uh, as 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 you know that didn't really work out that well. And you were just so busy, you didn't have much time for all the all the poor people, the lowly people, and, and you know every day of the week. I said, hey, he's Mr. Popularity. You know, so you got to do what you got to do. You know, you got to take care of your home area. Like I said, heaven forbid you be here in Vegas having too much fun. Well, you're, you're out in Vegas. You know that these events happen out there. Why don't you champion for us to come out there and have them, you know, bring us well, out there? I, I try to think, but what can I do when I try to call and, like, you no know, one answers the phone during the week? Or like when I send e- emails, or like the no one like uh, returns my emails or oh, my Gmail. I say you call you call this number during the week. Sometimes you, you shouldn't do that. There's other shows that are on. They don't know what you're t- <laughs> you calling to talk about. I talked to some dude named some dude named uh, Phil Pelley with you. Yeah, I talked to some dude named Barry and some chick named Jessica. You know, you know. <laughs> you, did you really? Yeah, they were like, "You are crazy, sir." I said, "Yes, I am," and I said, "I'm on fire." Like I said, so they were like, they were like really interesting people. I don't know. I, I got to go back to their know. podcast and listen to the Lamone with Barry Richard and Lamone <laughs> with Jessica Machado. Yeah, they were all nice, nice people, but she felt like she wanted to fight somebody. Jessica felt like she, she was on one. Yeah, that's kind of, um, that's kind of, that's how she is. Well, maybe she needs to fight somebody. You know, there's some people out there that like to fight. You know, so, you know, the fight doesn't mean you have to go to, have to make people bleed. You know, you can, you know, knock people's teeth out, whatever, or take their teeth out, run with their their fake teeth. I'm sure Rich's got a few of those. I mean, well, we're we're gonna um we're gonna have to move on to our topic of the night, Lamont. Before I do that, I'm gonna ask you a question. So sure. you you're you're pretty familiar out there with the with the uh, Nevada ghosts and all of that. So where yeah. where would you say Las Vegas ranks when it comes to ghosts in that state? Where would you say like you know on a on a one to ten rating? Where would you say that they rate number one, number two, number three? Out of out of the cities and or towns in Los in Nevada, right? You yeah. Know, wherever. It could be. Well, it depends. But you want you talk about older things. You know, there's other places you can go. All like like up in Reno mm-hmm. or uh, uh, like up Tonopah, it's a great place up there. You go up there to to some of the things that are up there, like Tonopah with Gold, Gold, Goldfield. Yeah. Uh, like I said, you know, a lot of people, a lot of people are coming, starting to come out and looking for like, uh, you know, how like they're supposedly uh, Butch Cassidy, for instance. He's supposed to have been down. He's supposed to be down in South America. Remember, they spoke. They supposedly died, yeah. uh, so, but they, but he he lived until like uh, was it nineteen fifty something like fifty seven fifty three, and I know where he's buried at. Like I said, that would be something right there. I can, I can start charging uh, admission. Follow follow my nose. You know. You know. My nose always knows. Why is uh, so like the white walls? But like I said, you come out here. It's in this old. It's old cemetery too. And it's like that's some and it's out there, out there in, in the Nye County, out there, not far from Pahrump. So yeah. And so I, with all of that going on, I mean, what would you say is the number one most haunted place in in Nevada? Well, let me let me let me point that out first. Okay, the other stuff that's going on nowadays are other things that people brought with them. Okay, because I like the old stuff, like the Indians, things like that, mm-hmm. back in northern Nevada. But the stuff that people are coming here from, like uh, the Caribbean or or South America, bringing their the juju and, and hoodoo, whatnot, with them. 
and down, down in like in Louisiana, there's a lot of people bringing bad stuff here. Not stuff that's like, you know, na- you know, that Native Americans are used to, you know, that they can handle. They bring some that dark stuff with them. And I'm darker than Flavor Flav. I'm talking dark like that. And see, they, what they're doing, it's like, I, I see where people literally, oh, I, you see this guy, literally, I wonder if I got that on, the, on, other, on other phones, but you see this guy was walking, was walking by, and he was, and his, he looked at his face, his face was like, you see like two different faces over his face, on top of his, and it's like, you see those things like that, when you start seeing that, where it's literally, not just your, your mind's eye seeing it, but you can take a picture of it. That stuff right there. I would like to. I'd like to say, as far as I've been, I've been up to Reno. I've been up around the places. There's a lot of stuff there. Um, Virgin, Virgin, Virgin City up there. I'd, I'd like to say we're probably number three. Uh, there's people out of places in Nevada, but as far as I haven't been to all of those places. Now they haven't been to all of the see what all they have involved, and you know, I, I found this case. I'd go up there and, and go see the go see the couple that you know that that was used to be on uh, the Ghost Adventures that died. You know, they, you know, mm-hmm. they killed themselves. The double, yeah, the with the yeah, the constant murder, murder, suicide. Yeah, we yeah. knew them. See that? Yeah, this was right there. I would go up there to see them, and that they've got stuff going on up there right now at the house. Me and Matt go look, pick up some hooks. 
Joker. Okay. Like <laughs> All right. That, there we go. All right. You have a good night, Lamone. <laughs> he, he he knew just where to take it. Yeah. Uh, so he's like, if I gotta go, I'm gonna go out with a bang. All right. I don't I don't blame him. I don't blame him. You know, it's one of those things. So and and of course that that is probably what you would do anyway. So is it, well, I'm gonna leave that. You know, but my from from my funeral, it's I'm I just want it to be a traditional Viking funeral. You know, not in Massachusetts though. Take my body two miles out on sea. You can do whatever it's, the hell uh, I want. Three three miles. Okay, whatever. But um, no, I I I looked into this. There are still certain restrictions. You can't set it on fire. If so, I'm three four miles out, stop me. I'm dead. I they, don't care. No, they don't. They don't want you to set it on fire because it, it it throws everybody off. But what you can do is you can just be thrown overboard. So there's no. I, I did a whole article about this. <laughs> okay. And when, so the way that it goes is that if you want to go out there and if you want to dispose of somebody's body legally, somebody that died, not somebody you killed. But if you like, you know, if, if I was to die today and you want to take me out and bury me at sea, if you go three miles out and you just dump me overboard, you don't have to do anything. You can throw me as is right overboard. They do suggest that you probably should wrap wait. the person in a cloth. Yeah. yeah, you do have to weight them down. You do have to tie a weight down because otherwise they'll just bob. But they, they do ask that you maybe put a, 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 a shroud of some sort around them uh, just because they don't want the sea life really picking at the body. So they want you to get down to the body before people start picking, you know, the body to get down to the bottom before all that. And um, the other thing is they do ask that you contact the EPA within, I think it's within 30 days of having let a body go just so that they know. And I think that that part of that is probably because in case something happens Parts with the body wash. yeah. washes up. Yeah. So you do have to tell the EPA within 30 days that you threw somebody overboard. But what they've done now is because like, so I die, I don't want to spend any money. I don't want you to have to spend any money. I say, just go take me out three miles and throw me overboard. So you go out there and you do that. And then but maybe you like you you ask a buddy, hey, you got a boat, right? Can we go take Tim out and throw him overboard? What if you don't have a boat? So then people were chartering boats to be able to go out and do this, and the boats came up with the idea. Well, hold on now, if they're chartering us to go and take these bodies out, we could start offering like packages, and uh, so they started offering these like bereavement packages where it's like you go out there, they have a ceremony, they say a prayer, the captain says a prayer and blesses the body. And all this kind of stuff. You throw them overboard, and then they've got like a lunch spread out for you, and all of that. Uh, there was one I heard about. I don't. I didn't find if this was true or not. But somebody told me that there is a a company that will take you out, let you throw the body over, and then when you come back, they'll take you on a whale watch. Okay. And I was like, well, there's two like really different things, but okay, well, yeah, I can see that as being something. But it's a it's a real thing. Now, here's the the catch to it. You know what you can't take out three miles out and throw overboard? Somebody living? Well, yeah, that's probably a bad idea. <laughs> Pets. Okay. You can't take a, a dead pet out and bury them at sea, nor can you take a dead pet and bury it with the person. So, you know, let's just say I got into a car crash with my dog and my dog and I both died. And you say, we're going to take them both out and bury them at sea. It's legal to throw me overboard three miles out. It has but, to be within three miles. But not Rover. But you can't throw the dog overboard. Okay. So just keep that in mind. And it's Ruby. You know that. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, a very interesting story, story I wrote a while back. Uh, and speaking of stories that I wrote, I do want to get into the story 
um, that was published the other day. And we'll we'll take phone calls about this on the other side of the news at 508-996-0500. And you can also send us app chat messages on the WBSM app. But let me give you a little background on how this came to be. We get a lot of emails here as content creators here at WBSM, the people who write all these articles, Fun 107, the people who write all these articles, we get a lot of emails from various different people. And it's 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 constant. It's every day. So articles that we've written five years ago, we're going to get an email from somebody saying, hey, I really liked your story about this thing that happened five years ago. Would you mind putting in a link to this site? And it's because our content is so well received on the internet and, you know, has such search engine optimization that people want to get links to their sites within our sites. And so they're constantly asking things like that. And of course we don't do it. And so one of the things that has been happening lately is sports betting has been legalized in Massachusetts. Okay. So it hasn't gone into effect yet, but we're going to have... I think they're saying at the, as early as the, the Super Bowl, so we're talking February of next year, they're going to have sports betting in place in Massachusetts. So is it start after New Year's? Or? Uh, yeah, I think so. Okay. So, but I mean, there's infrastructure that has to be yeah, built. That's why they're saying they think it'll be by February. So the websites that will be operating sports betting websites in Massachusetts are trying to get all of these links out there now to build up their presence so that when it launches, they're the first people that you see. So there's a website called betmassachusetts.com and they've been putting out press releases about all these different little things like innocuous little silly things, thinking that people might write a story about it and then put a link back. And and I did, I put a link in their story because I took information from their story and quoted them and I put a back link so that, you know, it's, it's all legitimate it's not just plagiarism or anything. So they, I get an email. I'm on the air the other day, and I get an email from betmassachusetts.com that says, New Bedford, Massachusetts ranks as, well, I don't even know if it was New Bedford, if it just said, what's the city's top, what's the top city in Massachusetts for a ghostly encounter? And New Bedford was ranked number two. Okay. I'm going to go through with you a little bit about why, how they, they, Put together this this idea. So let me just give you the right off the bat the, the key numbers. New Bedford ranks number two behind Lowell. Lowell was number one, but it was close. It was very close. And according to betmassachusetts.com, you have a 3.86% chance in New Bedford of coming face to face with a ghost. 3.8. Now, what is missing from this article is what qualifies as a ghostly experience. It also is missing the over and under. Yeah. Are you talking about seeing something? Are you talking about having a door slam? Are you talking about feeling a cold spot? You know, there, as mm. you know, like some of these things are easily explainable. And so how much? And so who is verifying these claims? So I had questions, and and I I also realized at the same time, shut up, Tim's brain. It's October. <laughs> it's just a dumb, dumb fun story. Yeah. Like it's not a scientific study. But at the same time, I, I can't help it. So I'm going through this whole thing and I'm realizing like, okay, some of this doesn't doesn't seem legitimate. And with the way that they pulled all this together okay, is there's a website called ghostsofamerica.com. And this website chronicles and catalogs ghost reports. And what they did is they went through ghostsofamerica.com 
and they counted how many reports there were for Massachusetts and how many for each city that was reported there. And they didn't get into towns. They just did like major metropolitan areas. I don't know what their cutoff was. That's also not in there. But they, ghostofamerica.com had listed for Massachusetts a total of 1,398 ghost reports. This site has been up for a long time because I, I looked at this site when I was writing Ghosts of the South Coast mm-hmm. in 2010. So this site has been up for at least 12 years. And out of all that, you've only had just under 1,400 ghost reports for all of Massachusetts. We've had 1,400 ghost reports just from phone calls over the last 12 years. So how is that any kind of accurate depiction? And so then I started right. diving into those if stories. If you think about it, it's no different than what you get from the UFO reports. Right, and yeah. which are basically <laughs> comprised from, so it depends on who's putting out the information. Right. But if it's a National UFO Reporting Center, it's who reported it to the National UFO Reporting Center. If it's MUFON that puts out the report, it's who reported it to MUFON. MUFON. Right. The, now, the advantage of those two organizations is they do a little bit of cursory research into the reports right. before they put out those numbers. So they might not be you know, out in the field investigating these claims for all of them, but they might say, let's just look and see if Starlink was over that area right. that night. So they do a little bit of digging. Yeah, little due diligence. Yeah. This Ghost of America site does not do any of that. It's basically just you go you there, you submit a report, it, they and they post it. it. Yeah. yeah. And, it, and it's user-generated content, so nobody's even looking at it to, to clean it up or anything like that. And I went through those reports, and a lot of those were reports I remembered reading like when I was writing Ghost of the South Coast. And I, I cataloged some of them in the story that I have at WBSM.com and on the app. I made a gallery at the bottom of the story where I took some of the, the best ghost stories that I saw on there. And we'll share some of those coming up in the next hour. Um, but you can get ahead of it by checking out the story online. But the, the, the there was a lot of holes in the way that it was all put together. And so what I did is I reached out to a couple of local paranormal investigators. I talked to Luann Jolly of Wailing City Ghosts. Mm-hmm. And I talked to Todd Sylvia of Relatively Paranormal, two New Bedford-based investigators who were out quite often investigating cases. I mean, uh, Luann probably doesn't get out nearly as much as she used to for this kind of stuff. Todd and his wife, Marissa, are out every weekend. And if they're not out doing something, you know, at a, at a famously haunted location, they are in the houses and the apartments of New Bedford helping residents. So I, I said, these are two people that I think can really give insight as to how accurate this information might be. And not, and not surprisingly, they both felt like New Bedford should probably be number one. So as I said, New Bedford is number two behind Lowell on a website that has had been collecting all of these stories for at least 12 years, maybe longer, probably longer. I just happened to access it in 2010. So they've, they already had reports built up there. So let's say maybe it was around since 2005. Who knows? But I guess I could have gone and looked up all that data. But all of that time, a couple of decades almost of having all these reports, how many New Bedford ghost reports do you think there were? If there's 1,398 1, total for the state. Uh, I'm, I'm going to guess 23. No, you're actually, actually, you had the number that was for the number three, which was North Attleboro. North Attleboro came in third with 23. New Bedford had 54 ghost stories listed. Really? Lowell was number one with 59. So it was really only a five-story difference. And I don't think that they really went through, and they just counted how many posts there were. 
they didn't count if it was like this person was talking about it and this person was like, oh, yeah, I also experienced that. Like, and it was, it's just counting them. Um, and I don't even know how accurate that counting was. But it was 54 ghost reports for that long of a time period. We have definitely taken more than 54 ghost reports in that time. Almost certainly. I mean, I've done probably, since I've been working here with you guys, 35, 40 on my own. You know, and, doing and, and I'll use Todd and Marissa as an example. If they're going out every weekend, let's just say, you know, they've been doing it for a couple of years. Let's just say 40 of those every year are New Bedford based yeah. or even 30. If they've done 30 for two years when they've been doing this for longer than two years, but I'm just using that as a number. If they did 30 in two years, they've already done more cases than what's listed on this site. It's a site that nobody's heard of. It's a site where people don't know to go there and make these reports. So it's not an accurate representation of where the reports are coming from. Even the Shadowlands probably would have been a better place to pull this information from. And that hasn't been updated in about 20 yeah. years. So including, like, there's still bad information on that site that people are sending to them saying, like, can you please fix this? And they just leave it up there. And people still discover it and, and tell those stories all those years later. But we got about 30 seconds before we're going to go to the news. When we come back on the other side, we will dive a little bit more into some of these stories. But I want to hear your phone calls because the reason why I'm bringing these up and sharing these stories is I want to see if it resonates with some of you, if you've had experiences in these same neighborhoods. Uh, we were getting some calls the other day when I was talking about this during the daytime show, and there were people that had encounters similar to this. So we'll talk about that when we come back right after the news here on Spooky South Coast on WBSM. Two of Spooky South Coast, Tim Weisberg here, alongside science advisor Matt Moniz. And we're going to dive back into this article that we were talking about. And uh, again, it's at WBSM.com and on the app. If you can't find it there, uh, I think I put it on the Spooky page at WBSM.com. But if I didn't, you can just search for my name at the top where it says listen, and you can see all the articles that I've written. And we're going to dive more into exactly some specifics uh, and some specific cases that were reported. But before we do that, uh, just a few things that we want to mention because it is spooky season. 
And we've got a lot of things going on. Moniz, you have something that's going to be happening uh, coming up in Wareham at the end of the month. Yep. Uh, Social Harmony Lodge in Wareham on Route 6 and 28 on October 30th, starting from 5 o'clock till about 7 o'clock. It'll be True Ghost Stories of Southern New England with both myself and Andrew Lake. And there will be a... uh, a spaghetti dinner if you want to donate $10 for adults, $5 for children under 12, and the money all goes to, you know, help local uh, charities. It's sponsored by the local Masons there at the Social Harmony Lodge. There's also costume uh, contests and all of that prizes. Yeah, I was, I was taking a look at it. So there's going to be uh, for the, so the, it can be kids and adults that come in costume. Right. And but the, you know, the, don't don't come in like don't come in the sexy costumes. Yeah, there's gonna be kids there. Gonna, there are gonna be kids there. So you know, keep it toned down. And um, it it's free to go to the lecture. Like I said, the the money is a donation for the spaghetti dinner, and like I said, that goes to help local charities. So. And uh, so, again, you can win a $15 gift card to Ryan Family Amusements for the uh, Best Young Man and Best Young Ladies costume. And for the Best Adult or Couple, a $50 gift card to Cafe Soleil in Wareham, which is beautiful. Oh, yeah. Good Great stuff. place. And that and um, I'll be bringing in my little artifacts so people can come and take pictures with, you know, pieces of Betty Hill's dress and various other things. There's also games and activities for the kids. So the stories... Will the kids be sitting there listening to the stories? Yes. So and so Andy and I will have the projector going, and we'll be talking about all of the local haunts in Wareham, from Wareham to Fall River to parts of Rhode Island and so you know, Southern give New you, England. So if I'm going to give you the story to run a video for, sure. I, have to have it, I have to have it be for kids. Because the story I'm going to tell, there's the version I tell when there's kids in the crowd, and then there's the version that I tell when the kids aren't in the crowd. Uh, I would keep it for kid-friendly. Because, and you know what, I told the kid-friendly version of it when I was speaking to the Girl Scouts last week, and I still got some weird looks from the parents, because I was talking about how the witches would ride the men of Barnstable to their coven meetings, and that's all that I said, they would ride them like horses. I didn't play it up like I do when I do for the adults, when I say, they would ride them, they would ride them all night long, they would ride, you know, like, yeah. I, so I, I, I downplayed it, but yeah, so I'll, uh, I'll keep it pg Okay, it'd be appreciated, and I'm sure the parents would appreciate it as well. Mommy, why was that guy on the video talking about witches riding guys like horses? Uh, because that's what they used to do. They used to throw saddles on them and ride them like horses. Yeah, well, it sounds sexual to me. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, right. Sally. Uh, so, and, and, of course, throughout the course of the month, I'll give you updates on all the places that I will be. Oh, God. Uh, yeah, it's um, I'm 13 places in about 18 days, I think. So we don't have a show for the next couple of weeks coming No, up. no, no. It won't affect us here. Oh, okay. uh, in fact, we're planning on a Bridgewater Triangle investigation show. I was planning it for October 22nd so that we had a rain date okay. of October 29th. Okay. Um, but maybe we'll just schedule it for the 29th and take a chance. Who knows? We'll see what, what kind of response we get from the groups when I put it out this week. But that is the plan well, to try and do it on the 22nd. we've apparently done it right now. Right. <laughs> well, but when I really start yeah. like reaching out and, and connecting with the, the regulars, um, but yeah, so starting on the 11th, starting on Tuesday, I'm just going nonstop, including the week before Halloween, um, from the 24th through the 30th, every single day. Hmm. And sometimes they're at night, sometimes they're at the daytime. Uh, but next week, if you want to come out and hang out with me next week, 
I will be at the West Bridgewater Public Library at 6.30 p.m. on Tuesday, and I'll be talking about Ghosts of the South Shore and Ghosts of the Bridgewater Triangle. So that'll all be kind of combined together into one presentation that'll be happening 6.30 on Tuesday at the West Bridgewater Public Library. And then on Wednesday, the 12th at 7 p.m., I will be at the Wareham Public Library. And uh, I forget what I'm talking about with that. I didn't put it here on the calendar, but uh, we'll be talking about a variety of different things in Wareham on Wednesday, the 12th. And then my next one after that, uh, the 19th, I'll be in Ashburnham. So I've got a, wow. I've got a ride ahead of me. Uh, that will be um, on the 19th at 7 p.m. I'm sorry, 6, 6.30 p.m., 6.30. Then on the 20th, I'm doing a special presentation at Stone Path Malt in Wareham, which is uh, in the industrial park. It's I'm going to be telling ghost stories. And it, so it won't be like a regular presentation where I'm getting up there and like breaking down the paranormal and breaking down some of these legends. I'll just be telling ghost stories. And uh, during that, there'll be a buffet dinner. So they're charging people $25 to come in for that. And you can get the tickets from Stone Path Malt. But you're paying, again, like you're paying for the spaghetti dinner at your thing. You're paying for the buffet dinner with that. Uh, 21st, I'll be at the Katuit Public Library at 4 p.m. So 4 p.m. on a Friday. Uh, then the 22nd, the Freetown Public Library is having me come in on Saturday the 22nd at 6.30 p.m. So I'll be coming here right from there. But it's not going to be at the library. It's going to be at the Freetown Police Department in their community room. Mm. So I had a special request, and hopefully they'll be able to make this happen. I said, if you want me to come and speak in the Freetown Police community room, I have one you know, contract rider <laughs> requirement. No, no. And I want the Freetown police to take their Puckwudgie crossing sign and just put it in the room for the night so okay. I can take some selfies with the Puckwudgie crossing sign. So they're trying to make that happen. Uh, also, the 24th, this is a couple, a couple here that are important for people that are listening all over the place. On the 24th, on Monday the 24th at 7 p.m., the Brockton Public Library is hosting me talking about the haunted history of Lizzie Borden, but that's via Zoom. So you can... Register from anywhere, but you have to pre-register. Go to the Brockton Public Library Facebook page or their website to pre-register. Same thing for the 25th at 7 p.m. I'll be speaking for the New Bedford Public Library about the Bridgewater Triangle. That will be happening over Zoom. So you can go to their website and Facebook page to pre-register. The 26th, I will be in Akushnet at 6 p.m. I'll be talking about haunted objects. On the 27th, I'll be at the Elizabeth Tabor Library in Marion. And I'll be talking about the Bridgewater Triangle and other spooky legends. On Friday the 28th at 7.30, I will be at the Avon Public Library talking about ghosts of the South Coast. On Saturday the 29th at 2 p.m., I will be in Attleboro at the Attleboro Public Library talking about the Bridgewater Triangle. And then on Sunday the 30th, I'll be talking uh, at the Duxbury Public Library, the Duxbury Free Library rather, uh, at 1 p.m., talking about ghosts of the South Coast and the South Shore. And then on Halloween, Monday the 31st, I will be passed out and I will wake up sometime around December. <laughs> so that's um, that's my schedule. And it's going to be quite the, quite the time. I, I love getting out there, being able to talk to all the different people. And I love the fact that these libraries are not all jumping on the same topic so i get to yeah, vary it up a little bit and i i don't have to do the same thing because like i said i don't i don't want to be out there doing all the greatest hits like yeah. i like playing the new stuff too so i think it'll be uh, i think it'll be a lot of fun so 
All right. That sounds like you got your 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 month packed in. Yeah. You know? I mean, police has just kept asking, so I just right. kept just saying keep yes. Just going. But yeah. you kept saying yeah. I, I've been busy as all get out as well. Uh, as you know, Tom Reed and I are working on something. The city of Roswell has commissioned us to do two events. So we're really moving forward with the um, UFO Expo. Well, we, Mar March comes quicker than you think. Oh, how well I know. So if people want to check out, we just got the site up and going. With the, You can check out the guests and stuff. UFOexpo.com. UFOexpo.com. All right, so there you go. So we, you've got no reason not to come out and have some spooky fun now all the way through March. We've yep. got stuff going on. Uh, let's take a phone call here, 508-996-0. Oh. What did you do? It's Lamone calling back. Lamone, one one call per show, Lamone. We we can't we can't do another fifteen minutes with you. We've got to get to the to these stories. Um, if you want to call in, though, I will uh, I will clear out Lamone at some point, or he'll he'll hear us and say, "Okay, guys, I get it." Um, we still love you, player. We do, but we we've got to get to this stuff, and 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 we can't we can't. We got to pay the bills. We're supposed to just allow one phone call per show, uh, so. If you want to call in during this discussion, though, if you have some local ghost stories that you want to share, 508-996-0500. You can also, if you download the WBSM app, in the middle of the app screen, when you open it up, it, you'll see a bunch of different buttons. And one of those buttons is App Chat. And if you press the App Chat button, it will allow you to text us right here in the studio. And so if you can't call in and you want to text in, we can read your text uh, right here on the air. So let's get into some of these stories. Because... Some of them are pretty fascinating. Now, I, just one thing that Moniz and I were talking about during the break that mm -hmm. I want to make sure we mention. I gave you the top three. It was Lowell, New Bedford, and then North Attleboro was number three. Behind that was Ware and Chicopee were tied for fourth. Malden, Danvers, and Brockton tied for sixth. And then Whitman and Orange tied for ninth. So, you know, that gives you ten. That gives yeah. you the top ten. What's missing from there? Boston. You're, you're missing Boston, the biggest city in the Commonwealth. Salem. Salem, the most haunted city in the Commonwealth by some people's uh, accounts. And you're missing Fall River, yeah. which, you know, has the most famous haunted location in Massachusetts. But I can almost see why Fall River wouldn't make it if all the reports are about, like, I went to the Lizzie Borden house and this yeah. happened. Like, you're going to count those all as one. So, but there, there is a lot of stuff that happens in Fall River that isn't the Lizzie Borden house. Yeah, we know that for sure. So, and, you know. Club and comes to mind. You know, you know what else is is super haunted. It's right next to there, but it's it's actually over the border. Is Tiverton? Yeah, Tiverton has a Tiverton's lot of. Tiverton's got stories. a lot of little things going on in there. But let's let's get into some of these stories, and I'm going to read you now. The, these stories are all cataloged at ghostsofamerica.com, and there's more details in my story at wbsm.com. But I'm going to just give you the the the, the breakdown. So this person. MS, or Miss, uh, we'll call her Miss, she submitted a story when she was from around 14 years old. She skipped school in order to sneak into an abandoned home that at the time was located on the corner of State Street and Willis Street. Okay. So I'm, you know, picturing picturing that in your head, the, I guess the, the abandoned house is gone now, but at the time there was a, a, a vacant house there. And so she skipped school. Her friend was supposed to meet her there. For the two of them to sneak into this house together, but her friend didn't show up, so she went into the house 
by herself first. And she saw this big creepy old mirror hanging on the wall. And she's waiting and waiting and her friend doesn't come in. So she goes outside to the payphone across the street to call her friend to see where she is. So this must have been a long time ago. Right, because there was a payphone. And she says, as so as she's out there using the payphone, she's looking at the house. So she doesn't see anybody go into the house. She comes back into the house and there written on the wall. This is this, this is her exact quote. I saw something that looked like written on the mirror, looked like writing on the mirror that was definitely not there before. I got closer, and when I read it, it, I almost died. It said, school skipper, but written backwards in black. So it was like something wrote it from the other side of the mirror mm. and knew that she was supposed to be at school. Now, I would have all kinds of follow-up questions, of course. Like, I would say, well, did your friend answer the phone when you called? Maybe your friend was already in the house, like, messing with you. But anyway, um, I'm not going to try to debunk these. I'm just going to let them live as spooky stories. You're just relating the story, just a messenger. Yeah. Uh, this this was a person who lived on a second floor. Her name is, name is Tamara. She lived on a second floor apartment on Tallman Street and would frequently see shadow figures. And this is one of her quotes. I would always experience black shadows walking toward me in the middle of the night. And I would see this girl with a skirt, scary looking, walking out of my closet. And she said that uh, other accounts were that on, on one fourth of July, she was in her brother's room with him when every light shut off at the same time. They heard moving around and things moving, and then, boom, the lights turned back on. So she was just wondering if anybody else had ever experienced something like that on Tallman Street. Uh, this is a story that comes from the Presidential Heights Projects. Pro this person grew up there in the 1950s and 60s. I don't even know if I know where Presidential Heights is. It's probably been renamed something else, I would think. Uh, western part of the city, roughly central. I, I guess it's close to Sacred Heart Cemetery. I don't know where that yeah. is either. But this person says this. This is this is a really freaky story. This comes from an anonymous. He says he grew up in the Presidential Heights section and that the place quote creeped the ever loving ever loving heck out of him. He said the spirits would call his name from downstairs. At night, they would call my name from downstairs and tell me to come out and play with them. Which he says, of course, he never did. He would yell down the stairs, who are you? But he would get no response. So when I heard this story, the first thing that I thought of is black-eyed kids. Mm. You know, and, and when we talked about black-eyed kids here with David Weatherly, we got a bunch of phone calls from people in the city that had experienced the black-eyed kid phenomena. So this, this, this goes back to the 50s and 60s, but perhaps this could have been a story like that. Um, not not as much black eyed kid reports anymore. If you notice, that was. I, like, I think. Um. I think that. Uh, I, f I, f I do think that. They it went still, from black eyed kids to more slender man report they, as far as urbanish legendish. I'm trying. Every time I hear David on somebody else's show, he usually has fresh reports to have happen, but I'm trying to think if I'm not like, saying they've stopped. I'm just saying that not as prevalent. And I'm trying to think of when it might have slowed down. I'm trying to think of like, did the pandemic slow it down? You know, did black eyed kid reports slow down because people weren't likely oh, to open yeah, the door yeah. if somebody knocked at the door? I, 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 I don't know. We would think people being at home more, they would experience no, more, more of the knocks. Well, so a lot of the black eyed kid reports. Look at the size of that moth trying to get in here on that window. It's the size of a small bird. Yeah, it is a pretty good size moth. Um, most we, of the we black were just talking about Mothman during the break. Yeah, I know. But the, as getting back to 
black-eyed kids, the one that I used to hear a lot uh, are them coming up to vehicles, mm-hmm. vehicle-related. So yeah, there were a number of them that still happened to people knocking on people's doors, but the most common reports were at vehicles. I'm surprised there weren't a lot of black-eyed kid reports at the beginning of the pandemic knocking on people's doors and saying, do you have any toilet paper? paper. Can you share some toilet paper? It's like, no, they weren't black-eyed kids. They were brown-eyed kids. They were just so full of, because they couldn't, you know, uh, anyway. Um, so this story comes from uh, an anonymous person who lived in a haunted home on Purchase Street. Uh, from the ages of 6 to 10. Quote, almost on a nightly basis, either one of my siblings or I would be pulled under our beds by unseen hands. She said they would pull each other out when they would hear each other scream. Things would go flying and fall to the floor broken, and they would hear voices coming from the second and the third floors, even though they lived on the first floor and they were the only family in the building. Uh, she sa- shared a story that when her little sister was sleeping on the floor, a large mirror fell on her. But thankfully, she only suffered some small cuts. She says she still drives by the home every day, and it always gives her the chills. So that was on Purchase Street, which, you know, is a pretty long street. Yeah, I was going to say. I would would guess probably, I mean, probably on the stretch, like where um, GM Alvo's market is. Okay. You know, like along along that stretch, I would guess. That's where the most residences seem to be. Uh, Let's see. This per- the person who moved from the Purchase Street home thought that she was done with the paranormal and it turns out that the place that she lives in now is haunted. And she says, shadow figures appeared a few days after moving in while I had gone to my room to grab something. I saw a black hooded figure walking by outside my door. It was at least seven feet tall. She said it appeared to be walking back and forth from, from one room to another. Uh, she never saw that figure again, but she still had all kinds of activity happening in that home. So now, now we get into something that's a little bit of a, an urban legend that I, when I wrote about it in my book and goes to the South coast, I didn't really give it a lot of attention because I hadn't heard a lot about it. But since I put it in the book, I get a lot of people commenting on this when they read it. So I'll get an email from somebody that says, Hey, I just bought your book at CVS or whatever. And I noticed this one little part that you had about something, and it's something that I saw, and that is the Beast of Brooklyn Park. Huh. So this this is a, this story is kind of a bit of a precursor to the the Beast of Brooklyn Park. An anonymous poster shared a story about feeding the ducks at Brooklyn Park when the ducks suddenly began to act strangely, and the person started getting goosebumps. This person then went back to their friends and went back later on with their friends and mocked their experience. And as they were making jokes. They were saying things like, oh, the ghost isn't coming. I think he's scared. And the person wrote, and that was a dumb move. Uh, quote, we started hearing a loud laugh. It almost sounded evil. That's when we saw the black figure running through the park. And this was at about midnight. They saw the shadows appearing behind the trees, followed by that evil sounding laugh and that, that back black figure running through. So now we get into the actual reports of the Beast of Brooklyn Park. It's a somewhat obscure legend that has come back to life in the internet age. There was apparently a rash of sightings in the late 1960s of a half-man, half-beast creature with cloven-hooved feet. According to the stories, it will stop and stare at people before taking off again, shrieking a terrible high-pitched laugh the whole way. And this, this account comes from 1968. The person says, it scared me clear out of my wits. I have never walked by there again alone, and if I drive by, I'm afraid to even look into the park. I mean, that's that's pretty 
intense. And there was there were other people that reported encountering this thing as well. I just kind of conglomerated it all into one story, but this is something that you know I you don't hear people talking about this. Well, I remember hearing about a what what was called a back then a spring heeled jack type of mm-hmm, this thing, is very thing in yeah in the in New Bedford. I didn't realize it was connected to Brooklawn Park. Now in the eighties, I went to Brooklawn Park as a teenager, and um, well, it was mainly during the day, but yeah, uh, I don't recall any stories told by people then but then i mean again, that that might be Bro- f- brooklyn park back in the 80s was more taken over by you know gangbangers and drug dealers so yeah i think maybe maybe we could go down there some night and see if we can call out this beast okay we'll, we'll see what happens uh this this story is called the grinning ghost girl uh jt lived on milford street i don't know where that is from ages six to eleven and said that the home, quote, seemed a bit creepy from the very beginning. Almost every evening I would hear little footsteps in the hall, and right next to my bed was a little girl staring at me and showing her teeth. And he said that this girl scared him a lot at first because he thought she was going to bite him. But after seeing her for many years, he realized that she was harmless and she was just smiling at him. Okay. Still, still pretty, pretty creepy either way. Uh, Nicole submitted that she was living in a house, a haunted house on Nye Street. She recounted a young girl of about six or seven coming into her daughter's room at night, just staring at her, not saying a word. She also described lights going off and on on their own, hearing the switch physically move when that happens. And as you know, you know, a lot of times like we will get lights that will flicker on and off, but it's, it's a whole different level of activity if the actual switches are moving. Well, depends upon the... Remember the old Sam West house? Yep. Yep. Uh, up on the third floor, those lights worked by pull chain. Mm-hmm. And Andy and I were up there at one particular time. Where he, had, he had one of his um, psychic friends. And we were there. Miss Cleo? No. Well, okay. Not from the Psychic Friends Network. No. Okay. Uh, one of his friends that was a psychic okay. and or medium from, you Ro- seen that from Rhode Island. Uh I'll just leave that alone. <laughs> but getting back to the, there the there were the pull chains, and we were in one room, and this psychic was talking to Andy in the doorway. All of a sudden, I had my camera in there, and I recorded this. The whole pull chain came down, turned the light on and off as she was standing there in the room. Well, I was going to say it's it's different activity between when the lights flicker and when the f- light switches flicker because no, the whole, you can right. See no, it. I know what you're I know what you're talking about, but I'm saying like just going to this person's point of seeing those switches move. If so, if something if you see the lights flickering, I would assume that that's something drawing the that energy, energy, correct? As opposed to physically manipulating the switches, or in that case, physically manipulating the pull chains. So you're dealing with something that's not necessarily drawing in that energy as much as it is trying to show off what yeah. it can do, yeah. which is a little bit freakier. And, and so Nicole's story uh, continues. Other experiences include feeling breath on her face and neck when no one is there, seeing a bedroom doorknob turn on its own, followed by banging on the door and hearing their names called out. She said it's not just her apartment either, as the neighbors in the same building also reported having paranormal activity. And uh, and she said that you know she wanted to move out of there, but she couldn't afford to. And her, her quote was, there is evil here. So I don't know if that's necessarily evil from what she's describing, but it certainly is concerning. 
this story comes from Spruce Street. Uh, it's a scary being who is seen coming out of a brown house on Spruce Street. Spruce Street is... I'm not sure. Uh, so this is what he wrote. It is somewhat demonic. I think it is a demon. Other people have seen it too. It has large, shiny eyes and a spike on its mouth. That seems like a very odd description. He said it only comes out at night and it comes from that haunted brown house. He says, I did some research and found out that the house used to be used as a pizza factory and someone went crazy there and killed their boss. I think this is the spirit of the killer. It doesn't do anything harmful, though. It just appears and vanishes. Weird. And I was thinking in my head, like, maybe he saw, like, an actual person coming out of this place at night. You know, somebody who was going in and out at night for whatever reason. And that this person might have had shiny-looking eyes and might have had, like, a pierced lip or something. But to say that they've got, like, a shiny eyes and a spiked mouth, like, it just seems really... Really freaky. Uh, but that's on Spruce Street at apparently an old pizza factory. Now, some of these stories, you listen to them and you're like, okay, well, things like lights turning on and off and doorknobs moving and knocking on the doors, that's kind of, and this sounds weird whenever you're talking about the paranormal, but it sounds mundane. It sounds like it's stuff that would happen any place where there's a haunting, but you're just a little bit more afraid of it because you're a little bit more afraid of what you don't understand. This is the one of the few stories where it actually sounds like something that comes out of a horror movie. Two, that's the name that was listed, has lived in the same house on Pope Street for more than 40 years and said creepy stuff has always happened there. In the middle of the night, around one in the morning, blood just starts running down the wall in my daughter's room. Oh. Two wrote, noting the little girl sees a young boy sitting with her just staring at her. Two said he and his wife also have seen their closet doorknob turn and heard banging on the door. Sounds like the previous story. Only to open it and find nobody inside. But there's a big escalation in activity between having a doorknob shaking and a bang on the door and blood running down the walls. Yeah. Uh, let's go to the phones. 508-996-0500. You're on Spooky South Coast. Yes, I had a little experience on 54th Spruce Street, Okay, uh, which is in the West End. Um, <clears throat> well, I had a friend that lived at 54. Now, I was wide awake. This was broad daylight. I didn't see anything. I heard. I went up to her house to go visit her, and I walked into the yard, and I yelled her name. I said, Joyce, are you there? And something said, no, she's not here. Okay, I said, oh, Marsha, is that you, her daughter? Uh, it didn't answer me. Then I went, I turned around, her, her husband was coming in the yard. I said, oh, I said, Joyce is not home. I said, what's Marsha, is Marsha upstairs? He went upstairs and looked, there was nobody there, but I heard that loud and clear. Mm. She's not here, and this was like maybe around noontime, broad daylight. I mean, I wasn't imagining it, I heard it. And there was experiences in that house our third floor of that house was an attic, and it was converted over to... They made it like an apartment up there, and my friend lived there with her two daughters, and she made them their own little apartment upstairs with a parlor and two bedrooms. There was a cubby in the wall, and in that cubby hole, there was a, a crib, an old, old crib. That's um, creepy. Supposedly, I guess a baby died in that, and they stuck it in there, and they buried it. They stuck it into the wall, and... Okay, so what they did was they opened up the, 
door thing. They undid it so they could open and get in there. And he took the crib and he went down to the water and threw the crib in the water. And when he threw it in the water, it was like bubbles and foamed and it went down. And it came back up two or three times before it finally went down. Mm. So this was this was something that was in the wall, not like behind a door. So this was something that they, they stuck behind the wall hoping nobody would find it. Yeah. Well, there was a door, there was a door to it. It was like a cubby. Like a little cubby closet. Okay, so like, but it was it was small one. It was it was one that you would it. yeah you would have a door to open it so you would be able to access it. Yeah, but it was sealed, so nobody could get in there, and they undid it. And no, they no, hopefully no signs of a, no signs of any bones or anything. No. Okay. No, no, but there was rumors that you know, and then like um, my daughter when her daughter got married, my daughter was one of the bridesmaids, and the night before they all slept over to help the bride get dressed and everything. And they had headphones on, listening to music, and then somebody said something, and they all stopped, and there was a voice coming through the headphones, and nobody was talking. Hmm. Well, let me ask you a question, since you're you're familiar with with the area. Do you know anything about an old pizza factory being there? That would have been way before my time. Yeah, it seems odd. I could think it, unless it's on the corner of Spruce and uh, thing where the old um, onboard building was which is now it's 10 apartments up there. It's the corner of Spruce, and I forgot what the other street is that runs the other way. Um, it might have been maybe over there, because I know that's an old building. Well, um, I'll, I'll have to... Street isn't very big. Yeah, I'll have to dig in a little bit more into that and see if I can't find out exactly what that might be talking about. Yeah, because I, I don't know where that would have been. I know the 54 Spruce at one time, I was told that that had been owned by a funeral parlor person. No, that, that, that. Can, that can make sense, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Like Sam Westhouse was a former, uh, basically, funeral parlor. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Well, thank you for sharing with us. No, okay, but like I said, Spruce Feast is not very long. <laughs> no, no. You and, know, it doesn't go very And I, I think I know exactly what you're talking about now when you describe that neighborhood, yeah. Yeah, it goes between North Street and... It's like three or four blocks long. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Correct. Yeah. And it starts. It starts at north. Yeah. It's matter of fact. You know where the Elks Club is? Yeah, I know where you're talking about now. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. It's right. Kind of. If you walk through the parking lot of the Elks Club and go straight across, that's North Street right there. I mean, that's uh, Spruce Street. Yeah. Okay. Because I lived at six, and then I moved to fifty-four. All right. All right. Well, thank you for the call. Alrighty. Have a good night. You too. Bye bye. And. Sorry, go ahead, Maurice. Well, I was going to say, one of our listeners, and he can probably call in and verify this for me, uh, John uh, in New Bedford, his his old house on Bay Street uh, was haunted. By, it's an old sea captain's home, and he used to tell me about personal encounters. And if he wants to call in and talk about that on his own, I'll let him do it. But I've been to that house, and yeah, it is an older house. There's plenty of them around there. And when my parents owned a uh, business in New Bedford, they had an office on Orchard Street. And it was right in, right at the very end of Orchard Street where it meets, you know, the, where the old Vogue uh, school is. And that building was definitely haunted. I think the Sheriff's Department has it now. But, you know, yeah, New Bedford's got a lot of haunted places in there. And, well, of course, the Ash Street Jail. Right, there was just a sad story that came out of there this week where 
I mean, I guess not said when you consider what the person was accused of, but there was a there was a suicide at the jail this week. Okay. A man from Truro who allegedly set his mother on fire and killed her. Yeah. They took him to Barnstable. Uh, they took him to Cape Cod Hospital, rather, and uh, he they determined that he wasn't a danger to himself, that he wasn't suicidal. And so uh, I guess they tried to send him to Bridgewater, and Bridgewater wouldn't take him because they didn't say that he was... Mm-hmm. suicidal or that he had mental issues and I mean he set his mother on fire so it should have been obvious he was brought to Ash Street Jail and and he killed himself by shoving toilet paper up his nostrils and then taking a bunch of wadded up wet toilet paper and swallowing it to block his airway oh wow brutal yeah anyway um, this story is a little bit of a strange one uh, Butch and his wife rented a house on County Street but quote we didn't stay long when we realized something very evil was there it started with my wife waking me up and telling me to listen to her pillow. I put my head to her pillow and could distinctly hear several whispering voices. They moved out the next day. Hmm. So whispering voices coming out of the pillow. Now, obviously, immediately, I want to try to figure this out. One of the first things that comes into my mind, and it doesn't happen nearly as much anymore because we changed the technology that we used, but do you remember back in the day of metal fillings in your yeah. teeth when people would actually pull in radio signals on their on their teeth? But you wouldn't necessarily hear the voices. You would just get like vibrations. Right. But this is voices coming well, out of the pillow. D- well, that's due to what's called a harmonic resonance in an electromagnetic field. That there is a science behind why people mm-hmm. would would have that happen. Um, but that is kind of creepy. I mean, I got metal fillings as a, as a kid. I had a metal filling. And um, I was always, like, super nervous. Like, whenever we were, like, near, like, a big antenna, I was like, is this thing going to start rattling in my head? But from my understanding, it would only really happen, like, when they were new until they had kind of, like, settled into the yeah. tooth, and then it wouldn't happen as much. But still, you know, the, the stories kind of freaked me out a little oh, bit. Oh, yeah, Lucio Balls um, talking about it, picking up supposedly Japanese radio signals during World War II. I mean, but getting back to haunted places in New Bedford, okay, a couple of, we'll call them public places, the Wamsutta Club. Mm-hmm. I, I knew a guy that lived there, and he definitely described to me uh, things that would happen in there. This is back in the 80s when I was young and green and looking for things back then that would go bump in the night. And another place that I found is right across the street is the Masonic building actually that's across the street from that. There's um, of course the Siemens Bethel story. Yeah. The story of the, uh, the um, priest that supposedly hung themselves in there. Um, Where else in in New Bedford? Well, the Zaitarian has stories, but the Zaitarian denies it. Well, plenty of places deny it. And, uh, And of course, you know, the place that made famous in New Bedford being the, you know, the armory. Right. Do you remember when we went to the Zaitarian to see Weird Al? Yeah, that and, was actually a really good show. And we asked if we could go into yeah, the booth and see the, look for the ghost, and they told us no. No. Um, <laughs> we used to do that a lot. We'd be like, yeah. hey, we hear there's a ghost here. Can we check it out? They're like, no. no. Now like the, we say that. We're like, oh, we hear there's a ghost here. We're like, oh, yeah, come on up. Yeah, it'll, that'll be 50 bucks. Um, because people have realized like it's a, it, it, there's a good money to be had there. All right, this story here, this is the last story that I have from this list of stories that came from ghostsofamerica.com. A 
apparently there's a lot of stories about the businesses on King's Highway having hauntings associated with them. Um, going back to, you know, the old uh, flagship cinema that was there. Oh. Um, the blockbuster video that used to be over there. Uh, some of these, you know, the buildings that are still there now. Uh, there was a story up on the site about expressions having stories happen. For, and this story comes from Savers. Antique shared a story from when he and his wife were shopping at the Savers store there. He said as he waited for his wife, he watched as a, quote, well-dressed lady who looked like a normal customer walked in the entrance. The first weird thing I noticed is she went right into the fitting room despite not having anything to try on. He said she then came out of the fitting room and out the exit, which is where he and his wife were headed at the time. My wife suddenly said, where did she go? I asked my wife, where did who go? And she said, the lady that was right in front of me. They couldn't find her in the parking lot either. I asked my wife what the lady looked like, and our descriptions of her were exact, so I know that neither of us imagined this lady. She was actually there and then suddenly vanished. And what I find interesting about this story is, first of all, you know, I'm not, I'm not, I'm never really convinced when it's a story like that that they actually saw a ghost. They might have seen a person come bombing in, go into the fitting room because they tried something on, they left something in there. Yeah, I left my then, phone. Yeah, and then they just left quickly again. Yeah. So maybe they jumped into somebody's car because they were waiting for them because they were just running in. Who knows? But the other side of that, too, is Savers can be a creepy-ass place because you've got all of these things that are being donated to Savers from everybody's homes. Like antique shops. How many antique shops have we heard about haunting things? And and you wrote the book, Haunted Objects. Hello? And you're dealing with, though, you're dealing with things that are a lot of times... because So an antique thing, a lot of time with antiques, antique dealers go out and buy those things and put into their stores. Right. Or people come in to have them appraised and the dealer buys them and puts them in there. Savers, Savers is, is like... A, a yard sale where you just dump stuff off. And Savers is a lot of time because somebody died. And you're clearing out the house and getting rid of their stuff. And so you're bringing all this stuff down to savers. And they're, you know, it's not like they have, uh, they don't have somebody in the back that's spiritually cleansing all these items. I don't, sometimes they don't even have people that are actually cleansing the items. But they <laughs> they don't have like somebody like going over there and like, you know, uh, removing yeah, I, spirit attachments from these things. So it's quite possible that everything that's in that store could be haunted, could have some sort of spirit attachment to it. And that's, it's the risk that you take. I wrote, when I wrote on Haunted Objects, there was a story about a, a thrift store where there was an umbrella that was haunted that came from a thrift store, not from an antique store, not from, this was just something like they went into there and there was an umbrella and they're like, oh, I need an umbrella, I'm going to buy that. And like, so those kind of things, you, you've got to be careful. I love a great deal, but I also know that sometimes when I get that great deal, there might be a reason why it's a great deal. So... Something to keep in mind. Uh, these were just some of the stories that I found on ghostsofamerica.com. Certainly not enough to... Uh, I, listen, I, I'd like to say that New Bedford should be number one for ghost stories. I don't know if that's necessarily true. I don't know if New Bedford is number one for us to encounter a ghost because there's too much repressed acceptance of the mm. fact that these ghosts are around us here. Well, you and I were talking about a little bit during the yeah. news. The cultural, cultural divides are yeah. still out there. And certain cultures that are present in New Bedford don't want to talk about these things. Uh, in certain belief systems, it's, well, it's I considered can see, evil. I can definitely say from being Portuguese a- ancestry myself, you know, that that's a topic that's taboo in mm-hmm. pretty much the Portuguese community. You're in, or most of your... Aut- 
we'll call it orthodox Christianish type of belief system. There's there's such an, a, a variety of different cultures in the city right. that there's a variety of different approaches to how to handle some of this. And it's interesting because generationally, certain parts of the city were for certain cultures. So you had like the Polish section of the North End. You had the Italian section of the North End. Portuguese folks in the South End. You had like these different yeah, areas. Enclaves of, yeah. That were like, you know, um, um, ethnic neighborhoods. Right. Um, mm-hmm. Jewish community in the West End and the Central part. But you had, but you, had you know. It's um, not yeah. like that anymore. Like now there's a lot of, there's, there's still some pockets of that, but now people are living wherever they can live. And so you're getting, you might have a family that was of a certain belief set that lived in a building for 50 years, they move out. Now another family comes in with a whole different belief system. And so you're seeing a lot more varied of that, a lot more mixing. I, I, I don't know if there's going to be more reports that come into the site. I don't know if anybody still reports anything to ghostofamerica.com. But certainly if you have these experiences, we want to hear about them. You can always call in here during the show at 508-996-0500, but you can also send us those app chat messages on the WBSM app. Just make sure when you select what show you want to send it to that you select Spooky South Coast or send it to the Tim Weisberg show, one of the two, because if you start sending it to the other hosts, they're going to be like, what, 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 why are you sending me ghost stories? Uh, and then you can also send them to us via email, spookycrew at spookysouthcoast.com. That is the way to uh, send us email, spookycrew at spookysouthcoast.com. We had some random firings off of some uh, some spots there, so I apologize for that. Um, I want to figure out this week why that happens, because I clear those all out before we start the show, and then they just re put them back into the system, which I don't think is anything paranormal. We don't have Keith Johnson come back in and bless the computer. It's just the way that the program is set up. So I apologize if it cut out to you, for you on the app. It's not haunted. It's just Windows. No, this is this is a completely different program. But this is this is far better. It's so much harder for spirits to enter enter this computer and and screw it up. Now there's firewalls against the ghosts, oh, okay. as opposed to that old system where it really was possessed. <laughs> and if anybody's never heard that episode of the show, we literally opened the show one time with Keith Johnson blessing the computer in yep. this in this and blessing the entire studio yep. because of all the things that used to go haywire during the show. Didn't happen during the other shows that were on the air. Just says. And it so it could have been two things. It could have been that the studio was haunted and that we've opened the door up and, and created a portal for these spirits and entities to come in and affect us or we don't know what we're doing. But it's probably the first one more than the second one. Well, it's probably the second one too. Yeah. Uh, but that'll do it for this week's show. Uh, again, we'll be back next week. We'll be back throughout October. Uh, November 5th, we will not have a show. I'll be at um, the, uh, the Wayside Inn in Sudbury. Uh, but we will be... Here all throughout the rest of the month, we're going to be having our annual Bridgewater Triangle investigation show on the 22nd of October with a rain date of the 29th of October. If you are part of a local paranormal group that would like to take part, shoot me an email, Tim at SpookySouthCoast.com or Tim at WBSM.com, either one. We'll start setting all that up and we'll get those locations picked out. We'll figure out where people are going to go. Still might even see if we can't be out in the triangle somewhere. I mean, Moniz usually goes out, but see if we can have kind of home base for the show, be actually out in the triangle, uh, be out there amongst the groups that will be investigating and calling in with reports of all the things that are going on out in the triangle that night. So again, if you want to take part, Tim at SpookySouthCoast.com or Tim at WBSM.com, email me. Let me know that you are interested in taking part. We'll start putting people together. 
if you're an independent investigator and you don't have a group that you belong to and you reach out to me, we're going to put you with somebody else because we want everybody to be in groups and be safe. If you are a person that has never done this before but wants to do it, I can't always guarantee you that somebody's willing to take you on, but you can reach out to me and try, and we'll see if some of the groups are willing to take a newbie out. Generally, it's a bad idea for this type of investigation because of all the dangers around just being out there in the triangle. But uh, we'll talk about all that coming up in the future, and we'll talk with you more next week. Until then, stay spooktacular.